Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, using drones to help victims in emergencies. We're taking you know, new cutting-edge technology in unmanned aerial systems, cutting-edge technology for medical treatment, putting it together uh, in, a, in a collaborative environment to be able to go and save lives. Then a Mississippi sailor killed at Pearl Harbor returns home today, the 75th anniversary of the attack. Later, a health minute from Dr. Rick DeShazo on how much exercise is right for you. And Toys for Tots is looking for your donations across the state this Christmas season. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A joint venture between the William Carey College of Osteopathic Medicine and Heinz Community College has produced a first-of-its-kind medical drone. The drone is designed to deliver a telemedical kit at a mass casualty event, such as a natural disaster or terrorist attack, or an emergency in a remote location. A doctor miles away can, in real time, diagnose a patient and instruct treatment in the field. Richard Patrick is with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. He he tells MPB's Mark Rigsby the new drone has great potential. Very impressed. Uh, this system and uh, initiative has a lot of opportunity and utility across the spectrum, not just in the medical arena, but through law enforcement, search and rescue operations, uh, um, perhaps drug interdiction, uh, things along that line. How do you see this type of technology, this invention of a medical drone, to help save lives? Well, in the active shooter event, I believe more research has to be done with the use of drones because the deployment itself, by the time they would be deployed in this environment, the unfortunate consequences may have already resulted. I'm not ruling it out, but we need more research, and that's what the the university is working toward. This is one step uh, leading that way. Uh, But in the actual medical appointment with perhaps immediate utility, um, in natural event, um, disaster events such as wildland fires, um, hurricanes, tornadoes, things like that, to deploy other medical resources, especially in the rural and austere environments, which many of them occur, those type of disasters in those areas as well. Um, it has you know, utility. It's a matter of uh, demonstrating the cost effectiveness of it probably in the long run. I think you opened your remarks saying that this is really awesome. Do you still think it's really awesome? I absolutely do. Technology uh, is the future of so many things of what we're doing in the disaster and emergency preparedness arena. It's leveraging that technology to functional utility at the end of the day to save lives, to find a lost child, to maybe save an injured firefighter in a rural area um, who was injured you know, from a, a, a burn or a fallen tree or wherever, where other medical assets can't reach them. MPB's Mark Rigsby with Richard Patrick of the Department of Homeland Security. Lee Smithson is head of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. He tells Mark Rigsby the drone could bring a new day for disaster relief. Well, I think that this represents a new day for emergency management, medical care, um, and and just the entire state of Mississippi, where we're taking, you know, new cutting-edge technology in unmanned aerial systems, cutting-edge technology for medical treatment, putting it together uh, in a a collaborative environment to be able to go and save lives. And 
uh, pun intended, the sky's the limit when it comes to unmanned aerial systems. And I think that the, 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 the greatest takeaway from today is the fact that we have uh, two colleges, two institutions of higher learning uh, collaborating together that you wouldn't have seen five or ten years ago because they're always in competition. So now we've got an incredible environment where healthcare, uh, drone technology are working together um, to put together a system that can save lives. And that's the greatest thing about these these drones is they're not delivering medical supplies. They're, de- they're delivering medical treatment. So you've got a doctor on the other end that can tell an inexperienced person exactly how to treat somebody and save their life. Can you see a scenario where these drones will be useful? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you look, because Mississippi is such a rural state, um, you can have a tornado that can hit an isolated area that has no health care facilities, no EMS close by, that these drones can get into the area uh, that's been hit by a tornado. And, and Mississippi does lead the nation in the number of tornadoes, in tornado fatalities. So to be able to push this into an area that's been hit is absolutely phenomenal. Or even into a small city like Smithville, that when that tornado hit in 2011, there was not enough emergency medical technicians that were able to deploy in. So you deploy these kits in, you give them to people who don't necessarily have the medical training, but you got a doctor on the other end of, of the camera who can tell an inexperienced person how to treat someone and save lives. So it's absolutely practical today, and we just need to continue to work together to get these systems from the test phase into the implementation phase. As you know, there are a lot of restrictions on drone usage uh, in the United States currently. Um, do you think some of those uh, regulations could be loosened up or there would be an effort to do so to get these medical drones out in the field and working? Well, I think that the Federal Aviation Administration is loosening the restrictions that are on there, making sure that unmanned systems are working in a collaborative environment with the manned uh, aircraft to make sure that we stay a safe distance apart. But I will tell you that over the past two years, the FAA has loosened the restrictions in, in, in the unmanned aerial systems and will continue to do so as we provide more and more training. Just five years ago, you didn't have have colleges teaching uh, students how to fly uh, a UAS. So now that we have a good curriculum on how to fly them, you're going to see uh, less restrictions now with the use of, and employment of these of these systems. MPB's Mark Rigsby with Lee Smithson, head of MEMA, on a new drone designed to deliver medical help to victims of disaster. In other news, as rain continues to fall across much of Mississippi, state officials are continuing to end county-level burn bans. MPB's Paul Boger reports. At this time, only Claiborne, Hines, Jefferson, and Sharkey counties remain under the ban. That's down from 76 counties that were under a burn ban last week. Marty Pope is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Jackson. Looking at everything right now, it looks like, say, from like Vicksburg across the Jackson area going up towards uh, Blounds County in that area, that's where our heaviest areas have been. We've got anywhere from like, looks like between five and eight inches of rainfall across there in the last two weeks. But while the rains have put an end to the fire bans, Pope says it's unlikely the rain will be enough to put an end to the drought overall. As far as the drought goes, it seems like the drought monitor people who usually do that are going to probably leave that. It's still going to show, um, I think they're going to take it down maybe a category or so from what it was before, which will not, which will still show quite a, a lot of drought areas through the area. Either way, Pope says Mississippians can expect to see rain fairly regularly over the next few weeks. Paul Boger, MPB News.
Up next, a Mississippi sailor killed at Pearl Harbor returns home today, the 75th anniversary of the attack. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Peter O'Dowd. I am not going to let Broadway rot. Hey, yo, I'm just like a savior with Beyonce behavior, and I love being a hot big shot. We're really, really hot. The hit Broadway show Hamilton has spawned an off-Broadway parody called Spamilton. We'll talk with that show's creator next time on Here and Now. What the hell, Lean Man? Why will stop the anarchy in one shot? Yo, I'm a Today at noon on MBB Think Radio. Do you have kids? Chances are good that you've embarrassed them. Those new dance moves you were practicing when their friends came over, driving them to school in that old car. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the host of Marketplace, and I don't want you to give up your groove, but might I suggest donating that old car to this station? You'll save your kids some embarrassment, and if you upgrade to a newer model, you could be the coolest parents ever. Go to mpbonline.org and find the contribution link on our homepage. We appreciate your support of our programs. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Today is the 75th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, and later this morning, a special ceremony is taking place in the town of Wesson related to that event. The remains of Navy Fireman First Class Jim H. Johnson will be laid to rest in his hometown there. Johnson was one of 429 who died when the USS Oklahoma sank that morning. Previously, Johnston was among the unknown dead at the National Memorial Cemetery at the Pacific in Honolulu. A DNA testing project began, begun in 2015 identified his remains. A Patriot Guard and police escort traveled yesterday with Johnson's casket from the airport in Jackson to a funeral home in Brookhaven. The funeral will be held this morning at 1030 and a graveside service will follow at the Wesson Cemetery. We spoke with Chaplain Aaron Miller, who will officiate at the service. He says a funeral and burial of this sort doesn't happen often. In my experience, it's, it's extremely rare. Um, I've done several uh, funeral honors or burials at seas for remains of service members from Iraq or Afghanistan or in the war on terror. But to have someone from World War II, it's, it's not a, a likely event. They, they need special permission to go in and even test the DNA test to get the remains. So when something like this happens, it's a really unique, special type of event. Uh, and then to have somebody identified even then, it's, it's the first time it's ever happened in my 16 years that I've been a part of. It really is remarkable, and I would imagine that it would still be very emotional for family members who are, are still here to witness that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and when you, even when you have family members that didn't know the service member, to be connected to that, to say, I knew somebody who was at Pearl Harbor. Um, we know that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson was on the on the Oklahoma, um, so to be to be connected to that, to say I'm connected to someone who was there, who gave their life in service to their country, it can be extremely emotional. Yeah. This will be a full military funeral. What does that mean? There's several different ways that we can do that, um, but usually it involves a procession to the grave site. You'll have funeral honors played, uh, the playing of taps. You'll have a gun salute. Uh, there'll usually be a variety of military members um, there to present honors. Uh, there'll be a folding of the flag. The flag will be given to the family member. 
there's different ways that we can put together a military funeral, uh, but uh, usually, usually it'll have the elements of taps and the rifle salute. Yeah. Does the Navy have uh, requirements in that regard? Do you have any leeway officiating the service? There's a little bit. There are requirements. There's requirements that we usually like to do the gun salute, especially for a, uh, a war veteran who died in service of the country. Um, there's always the folding and the giving of the flag. Um, there's requirements in what uniforms that we will wear uh, in order to honor the service members. Sometimes we will uh, there is a little bit of leeway in the do the funerals. You can get uh, members of the uh, veterans, um, VA groups can sometimes help in doing funerals as well. Uh, so it doesn't always have to be active service members who are participating. I know this one will have several active service members participating in the funeral. As a chaplain, what are your goals for a unique service like this? My goal is always uh, provide a, a sense of the divine, you know, to add an element of of spiritual, and, and, and I want to be able to render honor to someone who's given so much to the country and to the family, because really when we do a service, it's about those who are surviving. It's a chance for those who are just surviving to remember, to think back on, on the life of the person that they knew or, or the representation of that life, even if they didn't know them, and to provide a sense of peace, to provide a sense of what life is all about and how we now in our lives are to go forward and what we are to do and how we can learn from this. So I always try to provide those elements in a funeral. When you became a chaplain, could you ever have imagined you'd be involved in a service like this? You know, I didn't really think about it. Uh, I, I thought about serving my country and serving my God and, and, and providing for people and sailors and Marines. And you, knew, you know you're going to do funerals, but to be to be involved in something that reaches so far back in the history of our country, uh, the, the sacrifice of people who have gone before us, I never thought that specifically about it, and it, it's a tremendous honor and privilege. Chaplain Aaron Miller will be presiding over the funeral of Navy Fireman First Class Jim H. Johnson, who died during the bombing of Pearl Harbor 75 years ago today. The funeral is in Brookhaven this morning at 1030 and then uh, Mr. Johnson will be laid to rest at Wesson Cemetery. Chaplain Miller, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Up next, a health minute from Dr. Rick DeShazo on how much exercise is right for you. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo for Southern Remedy. Each Wednesday, we answer your calls on health issues of interest to you. They range from medical questions on kids, young adults, baby boomers, and seniors. Whatever you need to know. Join me for Southern Remedy this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is an important message for all MPB viewers who use an antenna to receive MPB TV. On Monday, December 12th, our Dot One and Dot Two channels will change. MPB HD will move to Dot One. A brand new 24-7 children's channel, PBS Kids, will premiere soon on Dot Two. Subchannels Dot Three and Four will continue to carry Create TV and MPB Think Radio just as before. Cable and satellite viewers shouldn't be affected. If you have questions, please visit our website at mpbonline.org. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue.
Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Everybody wants to know more about exercise. Current guidelines suggest 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity or 75 minutes per week of vigorous intensity aerobic exercise for all U.S. adults. The question is, how much benefit can you get from how much exercise? Well, we now know. A large study published in the uh, Journal of the American College of Cardiology has figured out how much exercise it takes to get the maximum long-term health benefit. And unfortunately for me, it's a lot. The news is it takes nine hours of moderate-intensity activity per week or almost five hours of vigorous activity to achieve the maximum cardiovascular benefit. The good news is... The benefit starts with any exercise, so if you can't do that much, you still get a good benefit. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. I'm Peter O'Dowd. I am not going to let Broadway rot. Hey, yo, I'm just like a savior with Beyonce behavior, and I love being a hot big shot. We're really, really hot. The hit Broadway show Hamilton has spawned an off-Broadway parody called Spamilton. We'll talk with that show's creator next time on Here and Now. What the hell, Lean Man? Why will stop the anarchy in one shot? Yo, I'm a costume Today at noon on MBB Think Radio. My credits are minor. I'm joining the rebellion because I know it's my chance. Hi, I'm Nina Totenberg. You can support the programs you love by donating that unwanted vehicle. It's served you well over the years and can still get you around town, but let's face it, it's just taking up space. Donate it today. It could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station, and you could get a tax deduction. And thank you. Go to mpbonline.org and find the contribution link on our homepage. We appreciate your support of our programs. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Many Mississippi children have only one hope for a toy this Christmas season, Toys for Tots. Started 69 years ago by a Marine Corps reservist, the annual giving campaign takes donations of money and toys for children in need. We spoke with Billy Henderson, a Toys for Tots volunteer in the Jackson metro area. He says the goal is always to help as many kids as possible. The goals are to cover as many kids as possible, which is always the goal. Last year, we covered uh, 2,970 children. This year, we are pretty fast approaching that. All the numbers are not in. Uh, Restoration is over. So now we're going to the various businesses where we have collection boxes and picking up the toys. Uh, now, is this 2,900 uh, in the Jackson area alone? That's uh, Hans, Rankin, and Madison wow. County, primarily. So that's, families register uh, their children to show that they're in need, and then uh, the Toys for Tots campaign goes from there? Uh, yeah. We have people registering. We have criteria. 
uh, like I said, the restoration is complete for this year. But our main main requirement is they have a SNAP card, uh, then they almost automatically qualify. But from when they did register, they had to have birth certificates and et cetera uh, to prove that the children that they're registered are theirs. So that's part of the process. And then the number of toys that we collect. Is there one age group that sees more donations than another? Yeah, three to five-year-olds. They get the most? They, yeah, usually they, they is a lot more for that age group. 10 to 12 age group, that's, that's kind of hard because don't get as many, near as many toys for that age group. Because everybody wants electronics at that age. <laughs> True. <laughs> how, um, how high, is it up to 12 years old? Yes, 12 years old is, is the limit. Do you have recommendations when people want to donate a toy? And we have many listeners right now. And if they want to donate something, do you have a list of recommendations? No, just just anything that they would like like to donate, we can use it all. And you also uh, take monetary contributions? We do, and the way that's handled, the monetary contributions are sent to our accounting specialist for this area, and it's put on a purchase card that the coordinator, or whoever the coordinator is each year, has this card, and we buy a lot of toys. Because you uh, know who needs them and what ages need them. That's right. Usually we primarily will buy for the 10 to 12 age group because that's the ones we, we need and we're lacking on. Billy, you're a volunteer this year. You're a former coordinator. Do any stories come to mind uh, about kids who have received gifts or, or, or people who have contributed? One of our best workers for one of the businesses received toys as a child from Toys for Tots. That man works his rear off collecting toys and trying to collect toys. So, Because he knows how important it was to him. He said that, in fact, that was the only toys that he got that year. So, you know, think about that. That that meant something to him, meant a lot. Just being able to help kids, you know. That's the goal is every child gets something for Christmas. We don't want no child to be without where can people find out locations that will accept their donation? Go online, pull up Toys for Tots, and it, it will have a list of the places where the collection boxes are. There'll be a phone number on there for our coordinator. She is the one that probably the monetary and the checks should go to. But we prefer checks, but we will take cash, and the cash is converted to a cashier's check to be sent to our now, uh, are some of these locations actually in stores so someone could purchase the gift right there and put it in a box? Yeah, but we have about approximately 500 boxes out this year, collection wow. boxes. They're in most Walmarts, they're in Walgreens stores. I'm not trying to do a commercial here, but, <laughs> but you know, both, both of those stores and many places. Billy Henderson is a volunteer for Toys for Tots. And we thank you very much, and we hope you reach your goal and even more. Thank you very much for being with us and for what you do. Thank you. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Fix It 101, Everyday Tech, and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
support for MPB comes from the Old Capitol Museum Statehood Day, Friday, December 9th. Details at oldcapitalmuseum.com or at 601-576-6920. 